Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As we just heard moments ago in the Gospel reading for today from Matthew chapter 20, we see among Jesus' disciples some attitudes that are pretty familiar to us sinful human beings. Selfishness, self-centeredness, pride, arrogance, jealousy, envy, anger. We see that in connection with Salome, the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples. If you recall, uh, James and John, together with Peter, were three disciples who on multiple occasions uh, Jesus had called uh, to come with himself uh, apart from the rest of the disciples to witness some very special miracles and miraculous events in the life of Jesus. And perhaps James and John thought that since they had been honored that way by Jesus multiple times already by this point, that they, their audacious request that they had apparently asked their mother to come and make on their behalf may well have been granted by Jesus. And, and so they came and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Promise that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left hand. We see that Jesus in reply informs them that those positions of honor and glory in his kingdom belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And the other ten disciples, whether they were right there hearing the words of that request uh, firsthand, or whether they somehow at some point thereafter heard about that audacious request secondhand, they immediately, when they heard it, had feelings of, of jealousy and anger arise within them. Imagine the gall of James and John and their mother to request those places of honor on either side of Jesus when his glorious kingdom is established. We are just as good as they are, if not better, why should they make that request? Why should Jesus grant that request? As we see just a couple chapters before uh, these verses in Matthew chapter 20, we see that the disciples had already had, at least on one occasion, similar arguments among themselves. And when Jesus found out about that argument about who among them was the greatest, Jesus taught them that in God's kingdom, those who humble themselves like little children and serve others are truly great. But apparently the disciples had not learned that lesson that Jesus taught them very well at that time, since apparently not very long after that first lesson Jesus taught them, they were right back at that same argument among themselves again with that same selfishness, pride, jealousy, and anger. These attitudes obviously are not the product of the Holy Spirit. They certainly are not the fruit of faith in Jesus as the Savior. Even though James and John were part of that inner circle of Jesus' closest disciples and, and they were very close friends of Jesus, some, some people think that perhaps they were even cousins of Jesus, that, uh, that James and John's mother Salome was the sister of Jesus' mother Mary, Whatever the case may have been, even though Jesus loved them and, and they loved him, yet still they had these attitudes that were not indicative of true humility, love, 
and servanthood to others, but instead of pride and self-centeredness. And the ten other disciples, they had been with Jesus just as long as James and John had, or, or, or almost at least as long. They also had seen Jesus' examples of servanthood and humility, yet they also were filled with pride, together with envy and jealousy, at James and John for making that request. Pride, envy, and jealousy are deeply embedded in our sinful nature. They are the products of the original sin that we still carry with us, inherited from our parents all the way back from our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, that we have carried with us in our souls from the time of our conception, the very beginning of our life in our mother's womb, and that we will carry with us all the way until the very end of our life on this earth, until our death. This selfish self-centeredness really began, as, as we see back in Genesis chapter 3, with the devil. The Bible tells us that the devil wanted to be like God, and then he tempted Adam and Eve with that same desire, enticing them to take the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had forbidden them to eat from, telling them that when they eat that fruit, they will be like God, knowing good and evil. And God doesn't want them to have this special secret knowledge. We see this attitude in other people, even in other Christians. In the home, at work, in school, on the athletic field or court, even in the church. The devil delights to set up situations where he can poke and prod and stir up jealousy and resentment among people in order to separate and cause divisions when instead there should be unity in Christ especially. Think about children. When a child, especially one who has siblings, doesn't get what he or she wants, anger and jealousy can quickly flare up and comparisons are very quickly made to a brother or a sister with accusations that one of the siblings is more favored or more loved by the parents than I am. In a marriage, a spouse's sense of neglect can lead to piling up evidence of, of examples and, and things that, that they feel show that their spouse does not love them like they did before because they aren't still demonstrating that love in ways that other people in their marriages demonstrate love to each other. In the church, even, people may strive for honor and recognition and perhaps get upset when they aren't given the public credit and praise and thanks for doing something that should simply have been done out of love for the Savior and in service to fellow believers. Unfortunately, that kind of strife provoked by envy and jealousy can lead people to do horrible things to each other, even supposedly in the name of the Savior and for the sake of the church. And outsiders who are looking in and, and seeing that strife and tension in the church wonder what Christian love means and whether or not these so-called Christians are really serious about following Jesus, who is the world's greatest example of love and humility. How happy the devil must be when the examples set by Christians wipe out completely 
the witness of the gospel message of salvation by God's love and grace. So what's the solution? What's the solution that helps Christians ward off these attitudes of selfishness, pride, jealousy, and anger? So James and John, Jesus talked about the cup of suffering that he would have to drink in order to redeem the world. The sorrow and the the sweat-like blood that he shed in, in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified in anticipation of that great suffering that was to come very soon for him. The horror and the hell that he went through on the cross of Calvary. That cup of suffering, Jesus says, was to be theirs as well. And we see that fulfilled already in the words of the Bible in the book of Acts that James was the first of the 12 apostles who was put to death because of his faith in Jesus and his preaching of the gospel message of Jesus. And his brother John, although not directly killed for his faith yet, was, uh, according to ancient church history, there were multiple attempts made to take his life, but God miraculously spared him. And in his old age, he was sentenced to exile on a small island out in the middle of the sea. This suffering for the gospel was their high calling. But, as Jesus said, sitting at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in his kingdom, that still was God's business to determine, not theirs. And to the other ten disciples, Jesus spoke in very similar terms. He told them that greatness in God's eyes does not consist in having authority or status over other people, but rather in humble service to God and to other people. Jesus himself is the example of that. Jesus didn't just preach about humility and service, but he did it. He lived it. Referring to himself as the Son of Man, which is a reference to a vision that God gave to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 7 of the Son of God in his glory and majesty in heaven. Jesus says in verse 28 of our reading, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus takes that desire of the disciples to be great and he inverts it. He flips it on his head and he says that people's opinion of greatness is actually the opposite of God's opinion of greatness. God says that a person's greatness can be measured in terms of humility and service. And the type of service must be measured in selfless, self-giving, self-sacrificing service to others, just as Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, that self-expending love, a love that spent his whole lifetime in perfect obedience, keeping God's commandments all perfectly in our place. That love of Jesus spent itself in his selfless death when he suffered hell for us on the cross when he died the excruciating, suffocating death of crucifixion, making himself willingly into the greatest criminal that the world would ever see because he literally bore the sins of all people of the world on himself when he died on the cross. In the face of that kind of love and service for us, all self-centeredness, 
pride and jealousy must fade away. And so the envious, prideful question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, is replaced with the soul-searching question of, am I in the kingdom of God? Because of the self-sacrifice that Jesus made in our place, which has forgiven our sins of pride, self-centeredness, selfishness, and jealousy, and every other sin that we ever commit, we are led simply to pure thanksgiving to God for his grace. And that, in turn, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will lead us to humble service for God's glory and for the good of those fellow redeemed of God. When the Holy Spirit gets hold of us in that way, leading us in humility to demonstrate our love to God and for each other, the question of who is the greatest fades into insignificance. You really don't even need to ask. The answer is so obvious. Who is the greatest? It is the God of love himself who is the greatest. He accepts me as his own through Jesus. I don't have to prove myself to him that I am just as good as someone else or better than someone else. I don't have to prove it to anyone else either. I'm now free in Jesus free to be his own, free to live the abundant life that he has won for me by his death on the cross, free to serve others, free from trying to justify myself, trying to earn my own salvation, free to be self-forgetful, not thinking more highly of myself nor more lowly of myself than I ought to, but instead thinking not at all about myself, but thinking only about Jesus who gave himself for me and about other people for whom Jesus also died on the cross and who he wants me to love. Yes, our selfish, self-centered, sinful nature will still rear its ugly head within us from time to time. But thanks be to God that the cure is here. God's amazing grace through Jesus. It will take more than one dose of this medicine of God's grace. Indeed, It will take constant and regular exposure to God's grace before the symptoms of our sin sickness disappear forever. But brothers and sisters in Christ, that day is coming soon. And when it comes, it will be so good to hear him say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen.